0: Hello, James Acaster here. Uh, this is an interview that you're about to hear on Comedy bloggerty with <laughs> Sarah Shulman. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be really fascinating, so listen to it for the whole thing. Um, and then afterwards, go on jamesacaster.com for, uh, for, for tour shows, and you can go and see me on tour, or see me at the Edinburgh Festival, 7 o'clock, uh, in the Pleasant's Courtyard, doing a show called Lawnmower, which is not about lawnmowers. It, in, enjoy. Enjoy the interview.
1: So, James, how did you get into comedy?
0: Oh, um, I accidentally... I was bored. I used to um, have a part-time job and do very little else outside of it. So I I went to the Kettering Volunteer Centre and asked them if they had anything I could do. And I ended up painting an old lady's kitchen and doing a really bad job of it, like a really awful job. But then they said, at the end, is there anything we can do for you? And because I'd done such a bad job of painting the kitchen... I just said something I thought that they couldn't possibly do, which was I said I'd quite like to try doing stand-up comedy, and uh, they were, then they were like, oh okay, well with the Ketman Volunteer Bureau we haven't got anything about that, and uh, then a couple of days later they phoned me and said a man just came in uh, asking us if we'd help him start up a stand-up comedy workshop, so we put you down for it, and um, I had to go to that, and that was it was just a guy he was a, he was a complete chancer he was. Um, he was a big drinker and he just wanted some money from them so they would give him money and he would uh, get drunk every week and we would have to get up and do 10 minutes of stand up for him and then uh, he would tell us that it was rubbish and then would sit down and that was nuts. so we did that for 9 weeks and then uh, we got up and did a gig at the end of it and I really enjoyed the gig and then just kind of carried on doing it but it wasn't really it wasn't the plan um but it's kind of what ended up happening.
1: And so was your first gig the showcase for the course?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was like there was uh, I think Nick Copping came down and MC'd it. Uh, And uh, I think Mike Belgrave closed it, and there was like three of us who were like on the course, there was only three of us on the whole course, there wasn't anyone else, It was just three of us in this, and so we all got up and did our bits, and uh, that was that, someone else opened it, I can't remember who opened it, but like it was like a proper comic, but yeah, and the three of us were in the middle, and uh, everyone was like family and friends and really supported us, and it went really well. And I remember thinking that I was really good, but I watched a video recently, not of that night, but like of me when I started out, and it was one of the most embarrassing things I've ever watched. So I think I was awful, but a room full of nice people at least gave me the the buzz that I needed to carry on. But yeah.
1: Was it only five minutes of material that you did? I think it was ten.
0: I did ten minutes. Uh, I didn't know that it was. Uh, I didn't know that five was meant to be like the first. I've never understood that stuff when people go on about like, oh, I'm just trying to work up and get my twenty sorted and 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 all this. I just I've always thought he just write... Loads of material, don't you? And then you just do it all the time, and, it, and it, you'll get better as time goes on. But I was never one of those people, yeah, who's obsessed with let's get the perfect five, and then the perfect ten, and the perfect twenty, then half an hour, then forty, then forty, then go to an above forty-five. Don't do it. Don't don't do fifty, and then go back next year and do it. And do your hour. It's got to be perfect. I was just like, yeah, let's do as much as possible all the time.
1: And so, what kind of material did you do on your first gig?
0: I spoke about. uh Bjork uh, on my first gig and about her song I've never done this material since uh, about Hyper Ballad and how she used to live on a mountain with her husband and she'd get up in the morning before he woke up and she'd throw stuff off the mountain and she used to just throw uh, cutlery and car parts and bottles off the, off the mountain every morning That's, and, and it was so it's a routine about that and about him having to live with her and wake up and there's nothing left in the house because she's thrown it all off the mountain uh, and uh did a routine about Samuel Jackson saying that he would have been in Star Wars uh, episode 1 even if he got to play a stormtrooper so I did a whole thing about him if he played a stormtrooper it's basically just yeah a stormtrooper going around speaking like Samuel Jackson and saying motherfucker a lot um and I think I did yeah I did a routine about a card I'd found on the floor that said it was a, a death card as in like you know It said, like, if this person is found dead, then visit this website for their funeral arrangements. Um, And I did a whole routine about that, thinking what a funny card. But then I found out later that it was... It's uh, so, a you know, I went on the website, and it was a whole thing that was set up to be funny in the first place. So I felt a bit annoyed that I'd gone. What a stupid, ridic- Oh yeah, it's meant to be funny. Uh, and I just made a routine about how funny it was, but it's actually like if you'd just done a routine about an episode of The Office, and gone, isn't it funny when you get plays the guitar? <laughs> like, yeah, it is. It's intentional. You haven't put the funny in there. But yeah, that was the that was. I remember I started out by doing some fake improv about set, where to put the mic stand. So about not knowing where to put the mic stand on the stage and about feng shui and whatever and doing that and pretending it was improvised, but it wasn't.
1: So how do you feel that your style has changed since you first started gigging?
0: A lot, especially after watching that video the other day and watching... I used to be really Russell Howard kind of E and uh, did a lot of anecdotes and a lot of just... I went went from doing like short anecdotes about funny things I'd heard people say or something to longer stories uh, about that was kind of, yeah, I was tr- trying to be a more of a, uh, what's, what's the word? I don't know, spinning yarns for people and being like really like, yeah, just being a proper storyteller and then I went from that to kind of doing more um, routines and things. So now I, I I like doing, yeah, routines a lot more. I don't really speak about my actual life much I used to I used to be like it has to all be true and I have to be telling them the truth because they'll be able to tell otherwise and they won't like it if it's not true and I I used to genuinely think that anyone can make up a routine and make it up but it's really hard to actually properly like you know tell them something that actually happened and I don't know why I thought that because now that sounds stupid because obviously it's harder to make something up in your imagination than it is to tell them something that happened. Uh, it's still a very difficult skill to be able to tell them something that happened funnily and do it really well. But like, why I thought that making stuff up was easy is beyond me. But like, I think I was just being lazy and trying to bring an excuse. But um, yeah, it's changed a lot now, isn't it? Now I've learned how to write jokes over the last few years. I didn't know how to do that to begin with. And uh, I've slowed down how I speak on stage. Um and, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of like, I've got better at writing, which is why I, I, I didn't know how to write at all when I started. And I think I know how to write a bit better now, in, in that I can kind of, a lot of the time the ideas I have, um, tend to work, whereas when I started out and stuff, I'd have ideas and think that would definitely work and it was awful. So, you know, I think I, I've got, a, I'm a better judge now of, of how to do it and, and I, I can choose my words a bit better. Um... But yeah, so I've slowed down and uh, I've made stuff up a lot more. And I'm, I'm probably more of a weirdo as well.
1: Do you have a process that you go about when you write your material?
0: Yeah, I kind of start with a subject that I want to write about and then work, work out from there. So if I'm doing something about skywriting, if I want, so I wanted to write a routine about skywriting, so I just you know sat down and wrote down everything I could think of about skywriting and then went on Wikipedia and read about skywriting and uh, put skywriting into Google Images and looked at the pictures of that and then, like, came up with loads of jokes and then decided on the ones that I wanted to do and tried to... You kind of try and follow it, follow some sort of path, and I never really know where I'm going with it. You're kind of discovering it as you go along, like you're... Uh, uncovering a skeleton of a dinosaur or something and like you just you don't really know where it is you're trying to uh, uncover it or you uh, are there so I always think something's already there and the routine's there already and I'm discovering it rather than I'm building a dinosaur so like yeah I kind of feel like that a lot of the time or like a water diviner when you're walking around with the rods and you go oh is it this way and it's not and, and so you see try another route and eventually they cross over you know there it is even though water diviner's bollocks but like you know it works as an analogy.
1: So, how often did you start gigging after your first gig at the showcase?
0: Um, after that, I didn't. I didn't do a gig for like four months. I, I, for, I don't really count. The first three years weren't really. I wasn't doing stand up. I did four gigs a year. I wasn't doing it as a. I wasn't pursuing it. I was in a band and I was doing like a comedy gig for a thrill every now and again. Just like I'm going to go and do a stand up gig and I didn't care about them either. So I would write the material, like, the night before, roughly, and then I'd go on and improvise around it. Um, and because I didn't care, I'd often have a good gig because the other people I was on the bill with were new acts who cared about stand-up and wanted to be stand-up comedians, so they were working on it. And it was a hard process, and they cared when they went on stage, and I didn't. So I think that got me through just, like, a lot of the rooms you end up doing as an open micer. When it's like a room above a pub it's like, you know, not many people there. If you go on with so much confidence because you don't care how it goes, you have a good gig. So I thought I was brilliant. And I would go home being like, haha, really funny that all those guys really want to be stand-up so I'm better than them. Uh, And then, uh, and then um, the band stopped. And so so I only did like, yeah, I did like a gig every four months or something. And then like when the band stopped, I was like, I'm going to be a proper comedian now. And uh, it's funny because I'm living, at the minute I'm living with Holly Walsh and my first gig of, like, I'm going to be a proper comedian was with Holly at um, the Red Rose Theater in uh, Finsbury Park. I don't know I don't if they put gigs on there. I think this was the last one they did there. It was 150 people. I'd never performed to that many people before. Everyone else was a proper comedian. Who's, it was their job to be a comic. And um, I was on third, second, second from last or something like that. No, third one. There was me, then Holly, then Rob Rouse was the last three. Before me was Marlon Davis, Luke Tolson, and Christina Martin. And they all ripped it. They all had amazing gigs. And then I thought, this is in the bag. I remember watching some of their jokes and thinking, uh, again, this is absolutely... I would never think this now, about the, the, these, especially these particular jokes that they did, but I remember thinking, that's obvious. That's a really easy joke. This crowd's not going to know what hit them when I go on with my, uh, my amazing improv. And I went on, and I died so bad like holly says i was talking to holly uh, about it a lot recently she says it's one of the worst deaths she's ever seen anyone have like it was proper like just it was just silence and it was embarrassing um and i remember all 150 people looking at me like i was from another planet and i just didn't know what was happening because i never experienced something that bad before so i was like this is weird i don't know what's going on and then, you, know, you know obviously just saying out loud that I didn't understand what was happening, and uh, and then coming off and being like, oh, okay, so I've decided I'm going to be a comedian now, and that's when it goes wrong, and that's when it starts to be difficult. So and I, I had two solid weeks of gigs booked in London. That yeah, you because know, I was like, well, I'm going to be a comic, so I booked two weeks. It's 14 gigs in a row, and then the next one was at up the creek the next day. I died again, uh, and uh, Steve Hughes called me a crazy bastard. So I kind of like took some encouragement from that. Uh and then I had a quite a good one at a really open micy one again. So I wasn't ready for big rooms. I was bought big rooms at one hundred and fifty people isn't big, but you know, that kind of size. I was and so yeah, like I started gigging pretty much three, four times a week after that and quite regularly after that. Um and then eventually I was like gigging pretty much every night after about a year.
1: And when you're in a band you used to play the drums. So, do you feel that playing an instrument that was heavily rooted in rhythm helped in formulating the rhythm of your jokes?
0: Um, I don't know. A lot of people s- say that, and that in my the, the guy who, uh, it's a guy who used to produce uh, my band's CDs, and he comes to see me a lot, and he thinks that it does. He thinks it's like a rhythm thing, and blah blah blah. Um, I think maybe it does. Um, I don't know I kind of you get quite obsessed with, with timing as a drummer and as a comic so it kind of goes hand in hand I, I edited a short film once I learnt how to edit and uh, I took to it quite quickly, quickly and the guy said you know it's a rhythm it's a timing thing and it's like and what a lot of editors do is they tap out a beat while they're editing a lot of the time and uh, I didn't know that but like um, it might it might have helped but you never know for sure if it does or not but um, I I still think I've had to learn that timing, just like, you know, like I did with the drums. You have to kind of... Early on, I was a lot... Fa- you know, I'd speak a lot faster. Or, although, to be honest, that video that I watched the other day of me early on, the timing is fine. It's just that the material's awful. So, you know, so it's like... So I'm I'm timing it like this is a joke. And, you know, here I am telling people what someone said the other day. And I'm absolutely timing it pretty well but it's just like why is that meant to be funny it's like you've heard someone say that thing uh but I'm delivering it like at the end like it's like that is a joke um so yeah maybe it helps yeah
1: and you've performed at Edinburgh for several years including in 2009 when you did a package show with Josh Widdicombe and Nick Helm and then in 2011 you did your debut hour amongst other things and last year, your show Prompt was nominated for the Vosters Edinburgh Comedy Award for Best Show. So what's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival so far?
0: Uh, every year has been different. Every year has been really different. My first year, I've been doing comedy for about six months and I didn't know about Edinburgh. I was very um, naive. Uh, I didn't know anything about stand-up, really. I did a gig with... Kitson early on I didn't know who he was and uh, I just thought oh that bloke was in Phoenix Nights which is you know something that if I was a lot more concerned about my reputation I would not tell you uh, because it's really embarrassing that that's what I thought the first time I did a gig with Daniel Kitson wasn't like oh wow Kitson's on the bill It was uh, I said to the organisers was, was he in Phoenix Nights and, uh, <laughs> and he said to me uh, yeah but I wouldn't mention that to him I was like oh, I don't know why <laughs> and I, I know, now I'm still like fucking hell I got up to him on the first time I met him and we like, nice job in Phoenix Nights, mate even if uh, that would have been it forever so uh, I didn't know what Edinburgh was I didn't know that it was so important and then other open micers started going on about it and saying they were going to go to Edinburgh and I was like oh maybe I should go and it got to like July and I still hadn't sorted anything out and then someone who I worked with at the kitchen, uh, his kitchen, uh, they, they were like, oh, uh, you're doing stand-up now, and uh, the Edinburgh Festival's a big... This is like a, an adult who probably knew about life, so there was issues like a, a Edinburgh Festival's a big deal. And um, I got this coupon for like £2 on a National Express coach to Edinburgh. Uh, you can have it if you want. Uh, so I was like, OK, fine. And uh, so I thought I would just go to Edinburgh. And then I tried to look at accommodation and I was like, oh, well, it's just really expensive and there's nothing left also. So I had to camp. So I got, I borrowed a tent off a friend and I did a, this 12-hour coach journey to Edinburgh and then uh, camped for two weeks there without any gigs booked. And it rained solidly for two weeks. My tent got flooded on the first night and all my belongings were just soaking. Uh, and uh, I got a comparing gig with it was Sean Walsh. Miriam Elliott and Caroline maybe were doing a Free Fringe show and none of them wanted to compare it. So I compared that every day. Uh, So that gave me a regular gig and I just ran around doing open mic slots. Um, And, like, I didn't have any routines that I liked. I didn't have any routines that were bankers, everything. And the most important gig I've ever done, probably, was in Edinburgh that first year when it was at noon and I turned up and no one was there. And it was Richard Rycroft and... Uh, Cal Saville, I think his name, which doesn't do stand up anymore, uh, and they both wanted to do a workshop. Just the three of us, which is the worst thing you can hear as a comic. But I didn't know that at the time either. And uh, and because Cal was going to do the semi final So You Think You're Funny, uh, which I'd gone out in the first round of. And uh, and uh, and he he was like, I want to you know try out my my set for tonight. Uh, so can we all do a set each? so I don't feel the silly. And then I, I tried out a routine that I had not dared try out in front of an audience because I didn't think they would get it or relate to it and they those two people really liked it and they said you should carry on doing that so I I then did that every day at Edinburgh I was doing about five gigs a day for that two weeks and it became my first routine that worked all the time and I was like oh I've got an actual banker now Um, and so that helped me kind of then figure out who I was so that, that was that year and then the next year was me Josh and Nick and hardly anyone came we got one review which is a one star review saying avoid at all costs uh, yep that's Nick Helm Josh Whittacombe there uh, um, and uh, so that that, that, that that review has been proven right it's fine you know those, those two haven't amounted to anything um, and uh, then next year was uh, another free fringe me and Josh did a free fringe together two-hander and I did a five-pound fringe show with uh, Ben Vanderveld and Andrew Doyle and then I did my silo show. So it kind of like... And the silo show was like the first year that I was, uh, you know, stressed. All the all the other years I was fine because it's like, yeah, who cares? I'm doing 20 minutes a day. I'm focused on getting better and that's it. And then I was like, oh, people are paying just to see me now. I really need to do a good show. Um, and so you felt responsible for people's evenings, you know, when they came, came to see you. So there's loads of shows they could have seen and they spent money on seeing you. So I was kind of like... I get a lot more stressed out, especially when it didn't go... I spent the whole year working on the show really hard, so then on nights when it didn't do, go well, because it had a lot of audi- audience interaction in at the first show, and sometimes if the audience wanted to just derail the whole show, they could, because I was opening it up to them. I was going, you know, I'm inviting you in, say what you like, and then they go, OK, we'll say loads of really rude, blue stuff. Like, oh, OK, well, that's not the show, so I'm in, I'm in trouble now because I can't really... Steer it away from this. I, I'd say you know, sh- shout out a flavour of donuts because I, pretend- I was pretending to look at donuts in my first show, and uh, you know on the good nights, I'd, cause I'd say just make up flavours and someone would shout out like, space donut or something like that. And, you know, okay, that's creative and we can mess around with that. On the bad nights, people would be like, "Filled with cum," and you go, well that's not really not the spirit of what I'm doing. And I've, but I've, but you can't really block. You can't go no, not going to do that because like then it just becomes a quarrel so it just become a really bad gig so that was like a real learning experience the first year it, it, it went well but like you know uh, it was quite yeah was the first time I was quite stressed out and then the second year was uh, second year yeah was was a weird one because it's not your first show you don't feel like all eyes are on you um, also I wasn't selling out I, I'd, I'd sold out my first year um, so I hadn't had that experience yet of doing my first like solo show without a full room so then second year when i I was you know sometimes walking out to 12 people i would be like oh i don't know like this is a real trudge net you know you'd really kind of and i was performing it as best I could. last year the thing with that was like performing it well even if there wasn't a response coming back at me because the first year if they weren't giving me anything i'd autopilot it and go really monotone and it'd be really awful and i would just like almost like kill it even more and then last year Every show I acted like I was having a, an amazing gig, even if i wasn 't and um, and so like that was that was a really different experience of like I felt like I had done a better show and that I performed it better, um, but I also felt quite emotionally drained after the ones where i wasn 't getting much because you kind of i was even leaving, leaving gaps like I was getting big laughs when I was just getting little ones but like you can 't just i personally if i change the rhythm of it and if I change the timing of it then the whole routine changes it can't be me quickly talking about the Loch Ness Monster like I'm really excited about it because half of the half of the joke is that I'm being really deadpan and really like um uh, just taking it really seriously um, and I can't just act like Well wow, this is an amazing thing I've got about like this is really important and you guys need to hear this so like so then I have to like you know deliver it in that way still and then when you're not getting much you're kind of standing there to silence like staring them down (laughs) and then going on to the next bit and i think that made for a better show and i think it meant that even when it was quiet if there were people enjoying it in the audience they didn't notice it was going you know not as well as it would do on the other nights because they don't know they haven't been there on the other nights but um it would be like more tiring maybe last year and it was obviously the end of the the month with the nomination was it's a nice kind of like nice surprise and uh you know, you get to phone your mum and dad and tell them. <laughs> so that's that, that's always good.
1: And a few years ago, in an interview, you said that you wanted to celebrate the people that take part in your show rather than belittle them. Yeah. So has that always been your approach towards audience interaction and participation?
0: Uh, yes, although I haven't always succeeded in that. Um, I have phased audience interaction out with each show. So the first show was like, Probably one third audience interaction for the, you know, there was a big bit when I was like, you know, shout out types of donut, I'll do a f I will do i will show you the face to pull when you see that donut and that so that would go on for like about twenty minutes and um or fifteen minutes or something like that. Uh and uh, there was like a bit when I got an audience member out up and did a skydive with them, simulate the skydive. And uh then last year's show was just a bit so with that with the first one, The whole thing was like you know they shout something out i don't make fun of them i do the face they're only there to give suggestions and then like the skydive thing was like obviously meant to be funny but they were meant to be the hero and they're you know they they're funny as well and i'll let them be funny like if they say something that i think is genuinely funny i wasn't gonna slam them and put them in their place because i put them in that position and even when they were acting like dicks which sometimes they would and they would try and ruin it i still felt like I couldn't completely destroy them because I've got them on stage and gone you're on stage now in front of all these people and you've put a person who wasn't expecting to be in that position in that position so I think it's a bit it was a bit out of order to be like you know slam them in front of them and make, make them look small in front of people but because of that because of those rules that I had with it it got quite difficult because that meant they did have a certain amount of power. I was giving them a certain amount of responsibility to make the show work almost. like, Really, the, the less they did, the better. But they didn't know that. A lot of the time, they felt like, oh, I've I'm in the show now, so I've probably got to be funny. I've got to help him out. And so they would say stuff that would kind of derail it a bit. So in last year's show, the audience interaction was very minimal and was like, they had very little control so I would ask them a question about how many breadcrumbs were in a loaf of bread and no matter what they said I would say no to the first person and yes to the second person and that was it so it didn't matter if the first person said a million and the second person said six I'd be like no yes all the time so they couldn't mess it up really for me and then at the end I'd do the same thing but I'd switch it around and get the person up to do a dance with an apple and most of them did it but some people refused to do it one person refused to do it sat down drew a line with his hand as if I crossed the line and then threw the apple at my head um, and like I, I avoided it and it didn't hit me um, and so I and since that was supposed to be you know he's got the he's, he, he the, the the point of that was that they put the question right at the end they get up and they dance and they're the hero of the show and he didn't understand that he just saw like I'm being made fun of if I'm in the show if he's talking to me he's comedian on being taken the mick out of he's not you know it doesn't enter into their head necessarily that they're being celebrated so I have maybe become uh, more jaded and uh, more cynical about audiences uh, in terms of like getting them involved and them being able to take the responsibility you know, and not mess the show up and I don't think that's their fault, I don't think they're meant to make the show work, that's not what they're turning up to do, they're turning up to watch a show that works already, they're not turning up to do some work uh, and so I think the people who do audience interaction and do it well are incredible and they're also probably more patient and um, understanding people than i am Uh, and what happens with me is that if someone acts like a uh, acts a bit inconsiderately or whatever for like a second i just instantly hate them and uh i I don't want them to be involved in the gig and i get annoyed that they're taking what i've worked ages to create and move it in a different direction and if i if i get like that i'm gonna throw such a mood every time then uh i shouldn't I shouldn't be putting that in my shows. I shouldn't be going like, yeah, I have a bit with the audience, and then if I don't like the person, then I'll be really moody inside. It will ruin the gig for me. Um, so yeah, I kind of involve them this, this year's show. They're not in it. There's not. There's nothing in it for them. Uh, it's just me, and uh, I prefer. I prefer it to be honest. I, I do like improvising, and because I started out improvising when I when I was on open mic and stuff, so that was some. Uh, for a while I felt like it was a it was a skill I had to showcase in my shows I had to go look everyone I can do this as well um but Joe, you know what I, I can do it and so if they if they heckle or something like that I can handle it but I don't necessarily have to go looking for it it's like if you know karate and no I'm not, not it's not like I'm, I'm really good at karate I'll be like a red belt but like uh if, if I was like a if, if, if it was improv but like you know it's like if you knew karate, you don't go out looking for fights, but you can defend yourself if, if someone starts on you. So, like, I'm maybe viewing improvisation as that a bit more now.
1: So, what advice would you give to acts going up to Edinburgh and taking up a show or a package show?
0: Um, I think you have to play your own game. You've got to set your own goals for it and... And stick to that because the thing is with with the festival, is that it's an amazing, exciting thing. It's really fun if you know why you're there and what you want out of it. And I think the best thing to want out of it is to get better as a comic and to build your audience up and just perform as best you can. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in the air which is like you know quite competitive, and uh, it's a competitive place. It's a competitive uh, environment. You're walking around, and there's posters of everyone everywhere, including yourself or your peers. There's stars going up on posters every day of like who's you know, who's doing in inverted commas the best. Uh, there's awards. Um, there's word of mouth. There's the sellout board, and all those things you can't avoid. People just bring them up to you. Day one. Someone will tell you that someone's on the sellout board. Someone will tell you that they had a reviewer in it and and, and, the show went really well. Um, You know, in the next couple of days, you'll see stars coming up. And and so everyone feels... The thing that's been imposed on you when you're there is that it's about the competition. It's about that. And that's just in the air anyway. And people who don't do stand-up, they get excited about that aspect of it. And they don't know, a lot of the time, not to come up to you and say it. So what you get a lot is like, you, so you get a lot of people just coming up to you, going, "I heard this, I heard this. This person was in to see you, blah blah." And what happens as a performer is that you you get quite insecure, your ego gets all fragile. Um, you start to think, "Am I doing the best I blah, can?" Blah blah. And uh, that, for a lot of people, becomes the thing that kind of, when you hear a lot of comics. Saying oh, don't you know, got Edinburgh and, and speak quite negatively about Edinburgh, and you hear comedians say about not going and how great they feel, and they're like, I feel so good not to be going this year. I can't wait not to go. They'll say stuff like that. Um, that's because, if the competitive aspect of it is because, and I, people can't. This is going to sound patronising, but people who haven't done a solo show can't understand that. I didn't understand it until I, I. I thought you know when I heard people saying all this this kind of stuff, I thought it's how. It's ridiculous. I'd love to just do a show and perform a a solo show to people and make them laugh. That's great, and that is great. But when alongside that, there's... I've been in festivals where there's not that. And I'm not saying they are better festivals, but you certainly don't feel as crazy when you're there, when you're not walking past all those posters and you're not thinking about, you you know, who's going to get an award or something like that, and that's not... People aren't coming up to you saying that kind of stuff, and all you're doing is doing a show that you enjoy every day, and that's it and you're not compared to anyone else, you're just doing your own thing, it is a lot less stressful. So I'd say to anyone going to Edinburgh, try your very best not to get caught up in the competitive side of it. But it is close to impossible, and don't feel like... I also would say don't pretend to yourself that you're not occasionally getting caught up in it, because that's that's part of like the... The thing is that you get caught up in the competitive side of it because people say something to you and you instantly feel a certain way or whatever, and you got to just acknowledge it in yourself and go, okay, I just felt like that because someone said to me such and such was in to see me today, blah blah blah. That doesn't matter. Don't worry, you just felt like that. You're only human, but like just ignore it. Doesn't matter. On to the next gig. Focus on the gigs being good and keep you on that or get some sort of routine every day. A lot of comics have said you know having a daily routine that they go through is quite good, you know, to do that. But, uh, yeah, I'd say just focus on the on the right things and try not to get too distracted by the, the wrong things.
1: And as you were saying that you've cut out the audience participation aspect to your show this year, do you find that even when you're gigging on the London comedy circuit that you get heckled a lot?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I seem to get heckled more than most of my peers do because I look like an easy target i look like i'm not gonna be able to come back at them because i dress quite um uh, a bit of a geek and quite bored. you know i look i look like i definitely couldn't handle myself so like um i I get a lot of real alpha males heckling me with their mates um and i get uh often pretty women uh, attractive women will uh heckle me, kind of showing me up in front of their friends as well. as often groups of people. But it's uh, often the kids who are probably the popular kids at school will see me and go, no, not having this. You are not getting up and and, and making us laugh. And so they'll heckle me early doors. Often with something, it's not too bright either, so I'll get heckled with ginger a lot of the time, uh, which I'm not ginger. Uh, But there you go. Under certain stage lights, I think I do look ginger. But, like, uh, I don't really care if I am. The thing is, that what I've learnt with that is that if I deny it on stage, they'll go, oh, you, you, you admit it, mate. So you just have to just, instead of saying I'm not ginger, you have to just kind of reference the fact that everyone else in the room isn't seven years old and so therefore is OK with gingers, but uh, you seem to still be stuck in school and beating up, you beat up everyone with glasses in the interval as well and give them Chinese burns. Um, so, like... Yet yeah, that I get Harry Potter shouted at me a lot, um, uh, which I think is because of the ginger thing again. I think they think he's ginger. Who else is ginger? That kid in Harry Potter. What's his name? Can't remember. Just shout Harry Potter, <laughs> Harry Potter. So like I get that. So if they shout Harry Potter, I, I, and that's happened enough times now that I've got a stock response for it that I'll say before we start. There's a man at the back. Who's, seems to have misplaced a book which is clearly t- too advanced for him if we can all help him look for it. And I'll look at him for ages and go, because you like the wizards, don't you? like all the ones about wizards and really belittle him. Uh, so there's that. But sometimes I just get, you know, because I leave long pauses and stuff, which I kind of can't do in front of weekend crowds now. I kind of have to play I do a lot of comedy club for kids' gigs where I do it a lot faster. And so when I do weekend clubs, I play to them like I do the kids' gigs, which is genuinely what I do. And if they knew that, they would probably feel insulted, but it's their own fault. It's what works best with them. Uh, um, so, But when I do pauses in front of those crowds, I'll get a heckled in, like before a punchline in one of the pauses. And often it'll just be something like knob or dickhead or something like that. Even so, you, you know, he's about to say something, you get a guys will just go. I got a guys go, knob like that, like proper, like that kind of the cough thing and all these fa And I was looked down. It was a grey-haired man and his friends, and they was really laughing like a schoolboy. I just look at him. This is, I mean, that that's the kind of thing that makes you just go. This is why I want to be a touring comedian to my own audience. I don't don't want to have to play to a, a man with grey hair who is still doing like primary school. Uh, you know techniques on insulting people you know like I'm probably half this man's age and he's acting like he's half my age it doesn't make any sense so yeah I get I get heckled quite a lot and, and girls will heckle me um often about my appearance I get a lot of ones about my appearance from from women uh about me yeah not looking cool or whatever not looking you know and just like had a woman stand up at a gig really drunk and just go seriously She's on the phone she said, seriously, you expect me to listen to you dressed like that? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And then she got got on stage to confront me and she fell over as soon as she got on stage. So I helped her up going are you okay? Are you alright? And then she was like, then she just told me that I had a small dick and I was like, right, well that's interesting because so I just kind of helped you up and was really nice to you but fair enough and then she was ejected from the venue with, with, with her friend, her friend was ejected as well at the same time and her friend vomited on her own shoulder as she was being ejected, that was that was classy so yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of an easy target for those kind of people but um, most of the time I just reference that on stage as well, I just I just have to kind of stop and say I should point out that my slow delivery does make me a sitting duck for knobheads and uh it kind of tends to work but yeah I mean yeah I get, I get a lot of heckles and um you just kind of deal with it and move on and the best gigs are when that doesn't happen and you know <laughs> yeah that's it really you kind of yeah you kind of accept that people aren't as as great as you'd like to think they are
1: <laughs> and do you have a favorite type of venue that you prefer performing in
0: uh yeah I, I kind of it's quite a 'Cause a lot of comics would say low ceiling rooms are good and uh people sitting in rows and not on cabaret tables, uh or or anything else to be to, for that matter, it's rows of people are good. People sat near the stage are good, not a big gap between the you know, so it's just, it's just everything's set up. I think if you just set it up so it's like there's so many gigs where you kind of turn up and I just get involved now. I don't I don't turn up and look at the layout and go, Oh well, that's me. I'm dead. I I just got to go, right, can we... Is it possible to put everyone in rows near the front? Sometimes it's a lost cause you don't bother. You walk in and it's a really high stage. It's a massive room with a high ceiling. And there's five cabaret tables set up, really spaced far apart from each other in this room, with seven seats around each table you know that you're going to get like not seven people on each table anyway they're going to you've essentially got five separate small audiences in a big room and you're on a really high stage so you may as well be in a different room showing on a tv and there's no way you can sort that out unless you go everyone in, in rows near the front and i perform on the floor that is the only way to do it and i've done that on tour shows i've walked in on tour shows and gone right i'm going to perform on the floor and everyone's going to be here and it has been much better and that's cuz when i went on tour with Josie long she did that at a gig and she saw they got cat and she just said sorry can we put them in rows please and they, and they and this venue went not really she was like why not and then they went um uh she was like if there's not a reason why not i'd like to do it and i will help you and like and so we helped them put it in rows and it was a really nice gig and it was and kind of going yeah, we could have just gone on and done a tough gig then, but we didn't. I know everyone, everyone's had a better time, so I kind of try and make it that. Yeah, and you think it's such a basic thing—the amount of times you turn up to gigs and it's like this is not set up for people to be listening to anyone, you know. And uh, it's quite surprising. So, yeah, just a nice kind of like compact audience in front of you who are listening and all facing the same direction and not facing each other on a table is all. All I ask.
1: And do you have a favourite type of audience to perform to?
0: Um, I think a norm, an audience of just normal people who aren't necessarily comedy fans but who are open-minded are the most fun audience to play to. Not necessarily... Uh, I was not saying anything bad about the really comedy-savvy audiences because I'm sure you're a part of that group. Uh, like... Um, but the really comedy-savvy ones will enjoy it just as much but maybe won't lose their minds as much because they are enjoying it but they're also thinking in their head, oh, yes, that's very good and clever because that's like, the time I saw that comic do that. And they, so it, it, so you, you've got loads of reference points for things and go in and you understand it a bit more. Whereas the non-comedy-savvy, nor, just normal people who just go in and watch comedy... If you get a closed minded bunch of them, they're the worst. Because they turn up, they don't know anything about stand-up, but they think they do. And so if you're not doing what they came to see, they think you're shit. And they just act like assholes all night. It's awful. But if they're open-minded and they don't know much about stand-up, you can have one of the best gigs ever. Because they're so surprised by everything that's making them laugh. Because they turned up probably expecting, you know... X, Y, or Z, you know, that kind of stand-up that they've, you know, he's going to go, he's going to pick on us all and, you know, we talk about this, that, the other. And then when you don't do that and you manage to make them laugh with that kind of material, they're delighted. It's like, it's proper like you are watching an audience discover something and go, oh, I like, you're watching an audience going, I like comedy. And they've suddenly realised that they like stand-up, that it's not just something that, uh, oh, we're just going to go and see it tonight and then go home. They're actually going, this is brilliant and I actually want to come and see more of this because I didn't know that this kind of stand-up existed, which is what all the comedy-savvy audiences start off as, right? Everyone in that audience went to stand-up sometime or at some point or watched it on a DVD and was like, "Okay, I'll watch some comedy. And then after it, you're sitting there going, that was amazing. Um, And so playing to those audiences who you can see suddenly get excited by comedy is probably the best. And, And obviously, you know, performing to... Your own audience on a tour, so people who are just you know there to see you and they really like you, is is amazing as well. Is maybe that maybe that edges it, but like those two kind of audiences are, are really great.
1: And you're going to be performing your show Lawnmower this year at the Edinburgh Festival. So what can audiences expect from your show?
0: Um, more low key whimsy for uh, yeah. That's uh, seems to be again. I mean, I think this year is more. Um, Last year was kind of like, I felt that the routines were like a mix of um, surreal kind of weird routines and and then also quite relatable routines which were about, you know, quite normal things that people could do. I think this year is a bit more on the abstract side in terms of subject matter. I'm talking about, I think it's all a bit, uh, and I'm more of the, more of a, uh, oddball maybe for the the, the, the the whole show I think you know last year I was like last year I was definitely odd I'm not I'm not making out for a, a split second that I was just a normal person for the whole show I was definitely being a bit odd but like this year I think it's like it's a bit more you know kind of going a bit more in that direction Because I feel that that's what I can get the most fun out of um so yeah they can I, I, I'm gonna clear the name of Yoko Ono in the show Uh, and that's all I'm prepared to say about the material but but it's not like the show's about that everyone always says what's your show about and it's never about anything so every year I have to kind of go nothing and it makes it sound so awful makes it sound like oh he hasn't written a show (laughs) but then you know most of the comedy DVDs you see aren't about anything you know Uh, so it's it's, it's it's an hour of stand-up about about silly trivial things but I'm talking about them as if they really matter and they're really important.
1: And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians?
0: Um, Just gig as much as you... This is what everyone says, but it's true. I think you gig as much as you can. You write as much as you can. um, You try out all the ideas you've got before anyone can judge you. That's what uh, Josie said to me when I started out, and that was really helpful. Because when... You're on the open mic circuit. You don't realise how low the stakes are. It doesn't matter. You're going out in front of seven people in a room above a pub. Go out and try the really wacky, risky idea that you've got, um, and see what happens. And you'll find your voice. Finding your voice, I think, is the most important thing. And so, just trying out everything and seeing what suits you, and kind of eventually you'll hit upon a routine that works more often than not, and is your your banker. And then the important thing, I think, then is to ask yourself why. Because there's a reason why that works better than everything else does. And, to f- and don't think about, like, oh, because that's got a punchline or whatever. Because I mean, that probably is part of the reason. But, like, actually think about why it suits you. Because why you're funny is different to why everyone else, almost in the world, is funny. You can be... Yeah, I think everyone is, is funnier than everyone else at a certain thing, but it's just finding it. even non-comics. You know, so you find like that's what makes me funnier than anyone else, and so kind of going like finding a, a thing or a few things that are like that's what I'm better at than people than other people, and that's what if I talk about that, then I'm I'm most likely going to be funnier than if anyone else talked about that or whatever, you know. Um And so kind of yeah, find the things that you want to and and do what you want to do as well. Don't ignore what it is you want to do in stand-up. Don't kind of go, oh, this is what I probably should be doing or this is what the audience want. But then also don't ignore that. So it's it's that thing of like, I think learn the rules so you know how to break them is a very good rule. That's like a very good motto. Just try and learn how to write jokes, learn how to perform and play the tough rooms and do all that. And then you can start going, right, now I'm going to mess around with it. I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and yeah, just don't, and just yeah, make sure you're enjoying it all the time. Make sure you kind of the what. Any anyone who ever goes on stage and goes, "Oh, I hate doing this bit. I hate doing this routine. I've got to do it. Like, I've got to do it." There's no no one telling you to do it. There's no, there's no one like. I've never gone on stage and had anyone go do that routine tonight. I can do what I want all the time. And every time I go to Edinburgh, I'm just like, I can't believe I'm about to do a show that no one's dictated what goes in it. I've done it, and people are actually paying to see it at the biggest arts festival in the world and that's what you can do and so any time anyone goes on stage going oh no, I have got to do the same old shit again it's like, no, you haven't you haven't got to do the same old shit again do whatever you like, you're your own boss so yeah, just keep on enjoying it and trying to get better and be honest with yourself you know, if something's not good and it's not working or the gig went badly try and blame yourself as much as possible and see what what it was that you did and not just, not just go, the audience were rubbish um although sometimes the audience are rubbish but like you know don't be too harsh on them uh yeah and just yeah just yeah don't don't kid yourself work really hard and enjoy it that's probably that's probably my, you know what i'd say there's loads there's too much stuff really but that's the thing you become a plate spinner you've got loads of things that you've got to keep your eye on when you're on stage and when you're off stage and it's it's got to keep it all going at once and it gets easier as you go on it's still hard but it gets easier